So that's James, chapter 4, and I'm going to be starting at verse 1. James, chapter 3, starting at verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be so. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Great, wonderful. Well, um, do keep that passage open in James uh, chapter 3. Um, very happy to be preaching to you this evening. Uh, although when uh, the vicar's ill and he says jump, the curate says how high. So um, anyway, it's great to be here preaching this evening. And looking at James 3, this is obviously a different passage to what we were going to be looking at. But one of the main names for, for this year is thinking about belonging. So actually I thought... It is an appropriate passage to look at, think about the kind of words that we use in the church and with one another. And with all that um, in mind, why don't we pray? Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of your word. Would you please help us to not only to understand it, but to cherish it and apply it to our lives. Um, Lord, thank you for this passage and what it has to teach each and every one of us. Lord, please, would you work in us and work on our tongues and our words by your Holy Spirit. Amen. So uh, as we look at this passage, we're going to be thinking this evening about words and the power that they have to, to build up and to knock down. And uh, well, so, so we're looking at the title, Taming the Tongue, and whether it's possible or not. But, but before we get to that, I, I think it's, it's fairly common knowledge amongst you as a church family that, that you all love pantomimes, don't you? Yeah. That's, not the, that's not the pantomime response. 
Oh, that's better. Great work. Well, so we're going to start talking about pantomimes. Um, I don't know how many of you have been to one of the, the Salt Mine Theatre company productions that they, they often do here um, on the run-up to Christmas. And um, this last year, um, they came here and did a great performance of Sleeping Beauty. Um, the Salt Mine Theatre Company, if you haven't experienced them before, what they'll normally do is they'll, they'll, they'll adjust, let's put it that way, a, a pantomime to have something of the Christian message in it. It may be a, something to do with the Bible, it may be something to do with the Gospel, uh, and there was no exception this year as they were thinking about words and the effect that words have on hearers. And basically in this land that Sleeping Beauty is in, is there is this curse. And the curse is spread through the use of hurtful words. And there are these two baddie fairies who, who are using these, these insults. Uh, one insult I seem to remember is that I hope when you get home you step on a piece of Lego. Oh, vicious. Horror. It doesn't get much worse than that, does it? And, but, but the, the, the Obviously, it's funny, but, but the effect, you know, the, the point it's making is a true one. That the, the effect that words have, particularly harmful words, can be really quite damaging. And, and in this pantomime, what happens is someone gets uh, treated with bad words, they begin to fall asleep. And that's what the curse is. The bad words causes people to fall asleep. Now, it turns out that the antidote to that is speaking kind words, and that wakes people up. But it's true, isn't it, that the words that we use can often do a great deal of harm, not causing people to fall to sleep, but much worse often. You see, our words betray who we are. And there's three things we're going to look at tonight in, in James chapter 3 in this passage. Um, firstly, that there is power in our words. Secondly, that there is something wrong with our tongues. And third of all, now is the time to change. So first of all, we're going to be thinking about the fact that there are power in our words. There's power in our words. And James starts his passage here with a warning, not just to the whole church, but specifically those who would think about teaching, teaching God's word to the church. He says this in verse 1, Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Now, James is giving a warning here for those who would to try and assume some sort of teaching role in the church, whether that was uh, preaching or, or some form of, of teaching of God's word, maybe evangelism, something like that. Um, and the reason that he's going after this group of people first is it's often the case that the teachers and preachers' words are the loudest in the church, and not just because they are amplified. They, they are loud because they steer the church, and we see some of that language later on about the effect that words have steered churches in certain directions, which is why he is warning people to be very careful about going in to this sort of role in the church. He's saying not many people should do it. You should be cautious. And we see from the rest of the New Testament that there was a real danger of false teaching in the early church. Jesus described this as, as the wolves coming amongst the sheep to cause them damage, to devour them. Teaching things that were not in line with the gospel, not in line with who Jesus is and what it means to be a Christian. Which is why he says that they will be judged more strictly. If you're a Christian or sitting here, that may be sending off alarm bells. Well, hang on a minute, hasn't all our judgment been dealt with at the cross? 
Yes, it has. But there is still a case that, that James is cautioning these people to such a degree that he's saying you've got to be careful. This isn't something you just dice and play about with. There is a sense that there is judgment for those who mislead God's people. In Matthew 18, Jesus uh, says this in verse 6. He says, if anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Jesus is incredibly protective of his little ones, of those who follow him. That is the kind of warning he gives to those who would try to mess about with his church. Now, this is both a great warning, but I think it's also a great comfort, isn't it? That Jesus cares that much about his church, about his little ones, that he would give this kind of warning. But it shows us as well that there is need for great care. There's need for great care. Um, when I was being uh, going through the process of, of being selected for ministry, that, that took several years, and you go through to all these different panels and interviews and stuff. It's not a perfect system, but the idea is they should be taking great care with those who are going to have teaching responsibility in the church. And that's a good thing. But not, not just for, 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 you know, sort of upfront ministry, for everything. We need to take care who is involved with teaching God's word. For example, we, a new Christian comes along to church and they're, they're really gifted with their, with their words and communications, then we're not asking them to be uh, preaching straight away or to be leading a, a Bible study group or, or a one-to-one. We, we, for their sake and for the sake of the church, even if they're amazingly gifted communicators, we show caution, we're careful for their sakes and for ours. So James starts off with this warning to the teachers and, and he's building up a big picture of the fact that there is power in our words. And it's seen very clearly with people preaching and teaching in the church. And secondly, he goes on to say that, yes, there is power in our words, but actually all of us, no one is exempt, we all fall short of the ideal. And he says this in verse 2. He says, we all stumble in many ways. He's particularly talking about our words. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect able to keep their whole body in check. James is saying we all sin. We all sin in all different ways, at different times. The way that you are tempted to sin is probably different than the way that I am tempted to sin. And what's amazing is think about who's saying this. This is, this is James, the apostle, the, the half-brother of Jesus. And he's still saying, as, as godly as he is, he's still a sinner. He still sins. He still stumbles, to use his language. And particularly in this area of words. No one is immune. We all need to take care with our words. And he builds up this, this picture of this hypothetical person. Someone who is never at fault in what they say. Someone who is perfect. Able to keep their whole body in check. As if the words are the hardest things for them to come to grips with. Now, we know there was one person who was perfect, able to keep their whole body and their words in check, his half-brother, the Lord Jesus. But he's giving us this, this description of the fact that we all sin in all sorts of ways. We all need to take care with our words. You see, once our words are said, there's no taking them back. A friend of mine said it's a little bit like taking a tube of toothpaste and squeezing it. 
Once the toothpaste is out of, of, of the tube, there's, there's no going back. It's out. You have, to, you have to deal with it. Hopefully it's just a small amount so you brush your teeth with. But if it's a big amount, there's no way you can get it back into the tube. Once our words are out, that's it. There's no going back. And he's saying that all of us fall short. We all say things we shouldn't. We may say those things at college or school. We may say those things in the home or at work with our friends or with people we don't like. Or as we'll see later, we even say those words sometimes in the church. And that's when they're most particularly damaging. So much so that he comes on to the fact that these words that we were unable to keep a grip on have serious consequences. And he, he builds up a picture in verses 3 to 4 and explains it in verse 5. So it says this, When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder, wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, James says, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. I wonder if you've ever thought about the fact that your tongue controls you. This little flappy bit of muscle in your mouth is the thing that is controlling you, like the rudder on a ship. It controls you. Our words take us in directions, whether that is individually, the things that we say lead us down certain paths, or, or corporately as, as a whole church, like we were thinking about with the preacher earlier. Those words take us in a particular direction. They have serious consequences. And if that, if that teaching or those words are harmful in the church, well, the consequences of one person's teaching can affect the whole church. It steers them in a direction. And there's no clearer case when words are are driven by a selfish desire or some sort of ego, some sort of building your own self up at the expense of others, making yourself feel good by putting others down, whether it's really obvious or whether it's subtle. It can be so easy. This, this building up ourselves, this, this inflating our, our egos, trying to make ourselves feel good and, and boasting about ourselves the whole time until we get it wrong. It's a little bit like um, blowing up a balloon every time we boast about ourselves and, and put others down and, and try and build ourselves up. And each boast is like a little puff in a balloon. And then you say something else about yourself that makes makes you feel good. It's something that you've done that you feel proud of, and it's another little puff. And then then you say something else about someone who, you know, you put them down in some way, and it's another little puff. And you're feeling pretty good about yourself. But then what happens when you get it wrong? What happens when you mess up? (laughs) That felt so good. Where does that boasting leave you? It leaves you as, as an empty balloon on the floor because you've tried to boast and build yourself up and then it all goes wrong and then that's it. You're left with nothing, just disappointment. You see, we've got, I think we've got this weird love-hate relationship with boasting. Sometimes we love it. I mean, one of the famous boasts of all time, perhaps, Muhammad Ali in the last century, I am the greatest. We kind of love it when people are boasting like that. But then we cringe as well. I don't know how many people watched The Apprentice 
and you're seeing some of the candidates who come up and they're saying, oh, Lord Sugar, you've got to have me. I'm amazing. You know, you need to go into business with me. There's no one else like me. And it's, it's cringy. You can barely watch, but you love it at the same time. It can be really obvious cases like that, but there can also be subtle things as well. Now, I, I don't know what it is for you, ways that you're tempted to boast or use your words to build yourself up or to, to belittle others. I think there's, there's a real danger, certainly for myself and, and other parents, that you can boast about your children. Now, it's not, it's not bad to, to be encouraged or, or in one sense, ha- you know, to be happy with how your child is doing, that they're doing well in their studies or sports or whatever it is, or in their development. But we've got to think about, where does the glory go? Am I, am I bigging myself up? And I'm saying, do you know what? Uh, my, my kids, they're doing really well. And, you know, well, that's because I, I, I put in all this time with them. And it's like puffing into the balloon. It's, it's building myself up. You see, I'm trying to get the glory go to me. But it doesn't belong with me. It belongs with God. You see, boasting about ourselves is, is actually deeply offensive. It's deeply offensive because we are essentially putting ourselves in God's place. If we're saying we're, we're a pretty good person, if we're saying that we've got things all together and that we're doing well, and we forget to mention God, then it's self-inflation, isn't it? Well, I've got to tell you, if you are a Christian, you must understand that there is no room for boasting. There is no room for boasting in the church. We sing about it in one of the old hymns. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast. Save in the death of Christ, my God. See, I hope you see in this passage that there are power, there's power in our words. And we often use our words foolishly. And I wonder if you're sitting there thinking, but why do we do this then? Why do we do this? Well, James goes on to say that there is something wrong with our tongues. And he says three things about it. He said there's something wrong with our tongues. And firstly, he says in verse 6, that they are corrupted. He says, Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. No prizes for seeing the repeated word there, fire, fire, fire. These are serious consequences of what we do with our tongue, of what we do with our words. And he's saying the reason why all these things are happening is because our tongues are corrupted. They are corrupted. And think about it, corruption spreads, doesn't it? It doesn't just stay, you've got this bit of corruption and it just stays neatly in the corner and the rest of you stays fine. Corruption spreads. It is like a fire, like a wildfire, out of control, spreading and getting worse and worse. Jesus picks up this idea in the Gospels. Um, When many of the people around him thought it was the things that that are outside you, whether it's something that you eat or someone touching you, that's the thing that corrupts you. That's the thing that defiles you or makes you dirty spiritually. And Jesus says, no, it's not what comes from outside of you and touches you. It's what comes from within that defiles you. That's where the corruption is. It's not out there. It's in here. It's on the inside. It's in our hearts. And basically what, what we're seeing is that the, the tongue and the heart, where well, they're connected. There's like a string joining them to whatever our character is like in our heart, then our tongue is all too happy to, to express it in words. 
Our tongues disclose the character of our hearts. And the corruption just gets worse and worse. It's a bit like, uh, it's a bit like this picture on the screen. Um, when I was, uh, work, in, in sixth form, I had a part-time job working in a camera shop. And it was when digital cameras were starting to get popular. And sometimes you bring someone, someone would bring in a little memory card. And uh, they could store about four photos then or something. And they'd say, oh, well, something's happened to my memory card. It's, the pictures look funny. And they'd, we'd pick up something on the screen like this, and it was corrupted. They were all pixelated, and they were all broken. It was a marred image of what it was supposed to be. And so it is with the corruption in us, with our tongues. This corruption, it spreads. The memory cards didn't get any better. We try and take the, the photos off as quick as they could, because it would just get worse and worse. And the corruption in us as well, it spreads like a fire. And the upsetting news is this isn't how it should be, is it? We all know that. We all know that we should be using our tongues for something good, not for belittling others, not for gossip, not for putting others down, just little remarks, or bigging ourselves up. God wants us to use our tongues for good. That's why he's given them to us. But sadly, it's often not the case. Now, it doesn't mean we can't say anything good. Of course, we can say good things and kind things. But rather, it's, it's what James is doing is he's setting a trajectory, isn't he? He's saying, left on its own, where is this going to lead? It's not going to get better. It's not just going to sort itself out, this corruption. It's going to get worse and worse and worse until there's nothing recognisable left. You see, this corruption needs fixing. But as we'll see now, that we're not up to the job to do it ourselves. He says this, verse 7 and 8. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. I wonder what some of the greatest feats of humanity you have seen in the last few weeks. It was amazing to see the Winter Olympics, all the, all the abilities that people have in all sorts of different disciplines. Or even in the intro show to see those 600 drones, did anyone see that? All taking on the form of the five Olympic rings, all at the same time, incredible. Or space, spaceships going into orbit and then the, like something out of Thunderbirds, the two little rockets coming back and landing perfectly so they can be used again. We see all these amazing feats all around the world on our, on our screens, but we're unable to sort out these little things in our mouth called tongues. James uses the illustration of his day. He talks about taming animals. Now, obviously, people still tame animals um, in circuses or, or as pets. I remember uh, going to my first uh, circus, and they, they still had elephants then, and, uh, and lions and tigers, obviously they don't have that now. As, as dangerous and deadly as those animals were, they could be tamed. But James says, not so for the tongue, not so for our words. That's even harder to tame our mouths than it is to tame a ferocious man-eating lion. Do you think about the things that you say in that kind of category? Are you that aware of how dangerous our mouths are? He uses the the language there at the end. He said they are full of deadly poison. They can start wars. They can break up relationships. They can ruin lives. Our words are untamable, and they are poisonous. If you're unfortunate enough to be on one of the uh, islands in Indonesia, you may bump into something called a Komodo dragon, which is the largest lizard in the world, I'm led to believe. 
And uh, what a Komodo dragon does is when it's hunting prey, it will chase after this, this prey, a, a deer or something, or a pig, and it will bite it. And that's not the moment when it kills it. It's got all this bacteria in its mouth and the animal will run off. And within an hour or two, the bacteria is spread. This, this poison essentially is spread through the animal's body and then it collapses. And then Mr. Komodo dragon comes along and has his dinner. And that is the kind of thing that our tongues can do. They are poisonous. They can, they can inflict wounds. And they are untamable. Despite all of our achievements, we fail to address the most important thing in the world. Us. Because we can't. We don't have it within ourselves to fix this problem. And just, just briefly, this is a real inconsistency when it comes to the life of the church. I hope you all see that. He says this in verse 9. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Now obviously this isn't an instruction. This is, this is James saying this is something that absolutely shouldn't happen. James is concerned primarily not with just the problems that are out there in the world, but what's going on in the church? You see, this kind of belittling or boasting is most offensive in the church. And it is absolutely inconsistent with someone who is a Christian. Someone who is a follower of Jesus. It's got no place here. We are to be the people who speak the truth with love. That is who we are. And it can be horrible how the church can behave, using our words to do harm. We, we, we hate it when we see it in the media, don't we? People who have a responsibility for care doing exactly the opposite, whether it's doctors or policemen or vicars, people who should be there to do good and who are doing harm instead. But we're not immune. There's a great danger of this inconsistency in the church. And I wonder, perhaps you've even been guilty today of speaking harshly to someone. Have you said something today? that has done harm and you're just trying to get on with with your day and coming along to church to worship well well, James would take issue with that behaviour Jesus says in in Matthew chapter 5 talking about about, uh, having a a problem with our our neighbour which can be anyone and then just going to, to, to church or going to the temple as if nothing had happened. Jesus said, no, first go and be reconciled to them. If you've said something wrong or harmful to them, go and sort it out and then come and worship at the temple or for us, come and worship at church. We need to sort it out because it's deeply inconsistent for a Christian to be using our mouths like this. Well, that's the the sobering truth that that James gives us about how we should be using our words. But how do we get to that stage then? How do we get to that stage? Well, thirdly, I guess it's, it's, it's for us to take seriously that now is the time to change. Now is the time to change. Because as we've seen in verse 10, it says, this shouldn't be. Verse 10, out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. It shouldn't be. See, James has uh, warned them harshly. James isn't afraid of pulling his punches. But look how he does it. My brothers and sisters. And he says it again just afterwards. My brothers and sisters. 
You see, he's, he's reminding them of this. He's being harsh with his words because he loves them. Because they are members of his family. We are all one family in Christ. And James loves this church. James loves the, the, the sparse group of people he's writing to. They are still his brothers and sisters, even when they are not acting like it. They are still one in Christ. And that is true for us as well. This is important that we have this, this future perspective. We remember that we are one body. We are in Christ. We're trying to, to, to really think about the significance of that this year as we think about being a church uh, who belong. And we remember where that is leading us. We think about where we will be in the new creation. There will be no room for, for, for belittling one another or for boasting in the new creation. This will not exist. It does not typify our existence in the slightest. So now is the time to get rid of it because that's what our future selves will be like. It's time to start acting like who we are and who we will be. James is saying our, our tongues aren't meant for, for, for building ourselves up or, or for belittling others. Our tongues are meant for praising God. As we've been doing this evening, as we've been praising him in song, but as we, I pray we will continue to do the rest of this week, as we go out into the world, we'll be praising God with our lips, with our tongues. We'll be looking for opportunities to, to, if we're meeting with Christians, to encourage them, to be praying for them, to be building them up, perhaps at times correcting them. If they're doing something harmful. And ultimately, for using our tongues to be worshipping and praising God. And this is the last thing I want to get to. Is it's time to change because now we need to be who God has made us to be. And this is what James says in the last two verses. He sets up this, this, um, these opposites. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? Of course not. My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives? Or a grapevine bear figs, neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. If you are someone who struggles with, with how you use your words, well, you're not alone. James is saying that's all of us. We all stumble. But it's important to remember that that is not who we are anymore. Our identity has been fundamentally changed by an encounter and being saved by Christ forever. And we've got a new trajectory of using our words in a different way. It doesn't mean we're perfect. It doesn't mean we're going to have it all sorted out this week. But rather, if you imagine, we've got written on our tongues, work in progress. God at work. We've got them written on our tongues, work in progress, God at work. Aware of how much we get it wrong, yet there's a desire to change. Do you feel that desire? I hope you do to be who we are in Christ and to use words that honour God. And I think we do that in two ways. Firstly, we do it by trusting God and not ourselves. You see, God is committed to making our tongues, along with the rest of us, holy, more and more like him. We do it by trusting God, not ourselves. And second, we do it by making it a church project as part of belonging this year. We commit not only to our own progress in this, but each other's. And it can be messy, can't it? When people say harmful things, which is why we've got to show forgiveness. And we can only do that because we've been forgiven by Jesus. 
and we show patience to those who are still growing in that regard. But also we pray for one another. Pray for those who use harsh words against us. And we don't give up. We don't give up. And we do all of this not in our own strength, but in the strength of God's Holy Spirit. Which means at the end of the day, we are not boasting in ourselves and our abilities to sort our own tongues out. But we're boasting in God and what he is doing in our mouths, in our lives. And as we boast in his work, not in ours, we do it all for his glory. So I'm going to lead us in a prayer now, and I hope you join in. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for this passage from James 3. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to, to work out the significance of this. Help us to see that if we are following you, there is no room for boasting with our words. There is no room for belittling others. Lord, if that is a real temptation of ours, Lord, please forgive us. Please strengthen us so that we might use our words in a way that is more like how Jesus used his words to challenge, to encourage, to build up and to praise you. We want to be people who do that with integrity. We want to be able to sing the rest of our songs this evening with new tongues. Pray that you would give those to us and pray that you would help us to boast not in ourselves but in you for your glory. Amen.